welcome back to my relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. Tonight, we're going to be continuing our reading of Anne of Green Gables by Lucy Maud Montgomery. Chapter 11, Anne's Impressions of Sunday School Well, how do you like them? said Marilla. Anne was standing in the gable room, looking solemnly at three new dresses spread out on the bed. One was of snuffy-colored gingham, which Marilla had been tempted to buy from a peddler the preceding summer because it looked so serviceable. One was of black and white checked sateen, which she had picked up at a bargain counter in the winter, and one was a stiff print of ugly blue shade, which she had purchased that week at a Carmody store. She had made them up herself, and they were all made alike. Plain skirts, fulled tightly to plain waists, with sleeves as plain as waist and skirt, and tight as sleeves could be. I'll imagine that I like them, said Anne soberly. I don't want you to imagine it, said Marilla, offended. Oh, I can see that you don't like the dresses. What's the matter with them? Aren't they neat and clean and new? Yes. Then why don't you like them? They're... they're not... pretty, said Anne, reluctantly. Pretty, Marilla sniffed. I didn't trouble my head about getting pretty dresses for you. I don't believe in pampering vanity, Anne. I'll tell you that right off. Those dresses are good, sensible, serviceable dresses without any frills or furbelows about them, and they're all you'll get this summer. The brown gingham and the blue print will do you for school when you begin to go. The sateen is for church and Sunday school. I'll expect you to keep them neat and clean and not to tear them. I should think you'd be grateful to get almost anything after those skimpy, wincy things you've been wearing. Oh, I am grateful, protested Anne, but I'd be ever so much gratefuler if, if you'd made just one of them with puffed sleeves. Puffed sleeves are so fashionable now. It would give me such a thrill, Marilla, just to wear a dress with puffed sleeves. Well, you'll have to do without your thrill. I hadn't any material to waste on puffed sleeves. I think they're ridiculous-looking things anyhow. I prefer the plain, sensible ones. But I'd rather look ridiculous when everybody else does than plain and sensible all by myself, persisted Anne mournfully. Trust you for that. Well, hang those dresses carefully up in your closet, and then sit down and learn the Sunday school lesson. I got a quarterly from Mr. Bell for you, and you'll go to Sunday school tomorrow, said Marilla, disappearing downstairs in a high dudgeon. Anne clasped her hands and looked at the dresses. I did hope there would be a white one with puffed sleeves, she whispered disconsolately. I prayed for one, but I didn't much expect it on that account. I didn't suppose God would have time to bother about a little orphan girl's dress. I knew I'd just have to depend on Marilla for it. Well, fortunately, I can imagine that one of them is snow-white muslin with lovely lace frills and three puffed sleeves. The next morning, 
Warnings of a sick headache prevented Marilla from going to Sunday school with Anne. You'll have to go down and call for Mrs. Lynde, Anne, she said. She'll see that you get to the right class. Now mind you behave yourself properly. Stay to preaching afterwards and ask Mrs. Lynde to show you our pew. Here's a cent for collection. Don't stare at people and don't fidget. I shall expect you to tell me the text when you come home. Anne started off irreproachably, arrayed in the stiff black and white sateen which, while decent as regards length and certainly not open to the charge of skimpiness, contrived to emphasize every corner and angle of her thin figure. Her hat was a little, flat, glossy new sailor, the extreme plainness of which had likewise much disappointed Anne, who had permitted herself secret visions of ribbons and flowers. The latter, however, were supplied before Anne reached the main road, for being confronted halfway down the lane with a golden frenzy of wind-stirred buttercups and a glory of wild roses, Anne promptly and liberally garlanded her hat with a heavy wreath of them. Whatever other people might have thought of the result, it satisfied Anne, and she tripped gaily down the road, holding her ruddy head with its decoration of pink and yellow very proudly. When she reached Mrs. Lynde's house, she found that lady gone. Nothing daunted, Anne proceeded onward to the church alone. In the porch, she found a crowd of little girls, all more or less gaily attired in whites and blues and pinks, and all staring with curious eyes at this stranger in their midst, with her extraordinary head adornment. Avonlea little girls had already heard queer stories about Anne. Mrs. Lynde said that she had an awful temper, Jerry Booty, the hired boy at Green Gables, said she talked all the time to herself, or to the trees and flowers, like a crazy girl. They looked at her and whispered to each other behind their quarterlies. Nobody made any friendly advances. Then, or later on, when the opening exercises were over, and Anne found herself in Miss Rogerson's class. Miss Rogerson was a middle-aged lady, who had taught a Sunday school class for twenty years. Her method of teaching was to ask the printed questions from the quarterly and look sternly over its edge at the particular little girl she thought ought to answer the question. She looked very often at Anne, and Anne, thanks to Marilla's drilling, answered promptly, but it may be questioned if she understood very much about either question or answer. She did not think she liked Miss Rogerson, and she felt very miserable. Every other little girl in the class had puffed sleeves. Anne felt that life was really not worth living without puffed sleeves. Well, how did you like Sunday school? Marilla wanted to know when Anne came home. Her wreath having faded, Anne had discarded it in the lane, so Marilla was spared the knowledge of that for a time. I didn't like it a bit. It was horrid. Anne Shirley, said Marilla, rebukingly. Anne sat down on the rocker with a long sigh, kissed one of Bonnie's leaves, and waved her hand to a blossoming fuchsia. They might have been lonesome while I was away, she explained. And now, about the Sunday school, I behaved well, just as you told me. Mrs. Lynde was gone, but I went right on myself. I went into the church, with a lot of other little girls. 
and I sat in the corner of a pew by the window while the opening exercises went on. Mr. Bell made an awfully long prayer. I would have been dreadfully tired before he got through if I hadn't been sitting by the window, but it looked right out on the lake of shining waters, so I just gazed at that and imagined all sorts of splendid things. You shouldn't have done anything of the sort. You should have listened to Mr. Bell. But he wasn't talking to me, protested Anne. He was talking to God, and he didn't seem to be very much interested in it either. I think he thought God was too far off to make it worthwhile. I said a little prayer myself, though. There was a long row of white birches hanging over the lake, and the sunshine fell down through them, way, way down, deep into the water. Oh, Marilla, it was like a beautiful dream. It gave me a thrill, and I just said, Thank you for it, God, two or three times. Not out loud, I hope, said Marilla anxiously. Oh, no, just under my breath. Well, Mr. Bell did get through at last, and they told me to go into the classroom with Miss Rogerson's class. There were nine other girls in it. They all had puffed sleeves. I tried to imagine mine were puffed, too, but I couldn't. Why couldn't I? It was easy as could be to imagine that they were puffed when I was alone in the East Gable, but it was awfully hard there among others who had really truly puffs. You shouldn't have been thinking about your sleeves in Sunday school. You should have been attending to the lesson. I hope you knew it. Oh, yes, and I answered a lot of questions. Miss Rogerson asked ever so many. I don't think it was fair for her to do all the asking. There were lots I wanted to ask her, too, but I didn't like to because I didn't think she was a kindred spirit. Then all the other little girls recited a paraphrase. She asked me if I knew any. I told her I didn't, but I could recite The Dog at His Master's Grave if she liked. That's in the third royal reader. It isn't really truly religious piece of poetry, but it's so sad and melancholy that it might as well be. She said it wouldn't do, and she told me to learn the 19th paraphrase for next Sunday. I read over it in church afterwards, and it's splendid. There are two lines in particular that just thrill me. Quick as the slaughtered squadrons fell in Midian's evil day. I don't know what squadrons means, nor Midian either, but it sounds so tragical. I can hardly wait until next Sunday to recite it. I'll practice it all week. After Sunday school, I asked Miss Rogerson, because Mrs. Lynde was too far away, to show me your pew. I sat just as still as I could, and the text was Revelations, third chapter, second and third verses. It was a very long text. If I was a minister, I'd pick the short, snappy ones. The sermon was awfully long, too. I suppose the minister had to match it to the text. I didn't think he was a bit interesting. The trouble with him seems to be that he hasn't enough imagination. I didn't listen to him very much. I just let my thoughts run, and I thought of the most surprising things. Marilla felt, helplessly, that all this should be sternly reproved, but she was hampered by the undeniable fact that some of the things Anne had said, especially about the minister's sermons and Mr. Bell's prayers, were what she herself had really thought, deep down, in her heart. For years, but had never given expression to. It almost seemed to her that those secret, unuttered, critical thoughts had suddenly taken visible and accusing shape and form in the person of this outspoken morsel 
have neglected humanity. Chapter 12 A Solemn Vow and Promise It was not until the next Friday that Marilla heard the story of the flower-wreathed hat. She came home from Mrs. Lynde's and called Anne to account. Anne, Mrs. Rachel says you went to church last Sunday with your hat raked out ridiculous with roses and buttercups. What on earth put you up to such a caper? pretty-looking object you must have been. Oh, I know pink and yellow aren't becoming to me, began Anne. Becoming fiddlesticks. It was putting flowers on your hat at all, no matter what color they were, that was ridiculous. You are the most aggravating child. I don't see why it's any more ridiculous to wear flowers on your hat than on your dress, protested Anne. Lots of little girls had bouquets pinned on their dresses. What was the difference? Marilla was not to be drawn from the safe concrete into the dubious paths of the abstract. Don't answer me back like that, Anne. It was very silly of you to do such a thing. Never let me catch you at such a trick again. Mrs. Rachel says she thought she would sink through the floor when she saw you come in all raked out like that. She couldn't get near enough to tell you to take them off till it was too late. She says people talked about it something dreadful, of course they would think I had no better sense than to let you go decked out like that. Oh, I'm so sorry, said Anne, tears swelling into her eyes. I never thought you'd mind. The roses and buttercups were so sweet and pretty, and I thought they'd look lovely on my hat. Lots of little girls had artificial flowers on their hats. I'm afraid I'm going to be a dreadful trial to you. Maybe you'd better send me back to the asylum. That would be terrible. I don't think I could endure it. Most likely, I would go into consumption. I'm so thin as it is, you see. But that would be better than being a trial to you. Nonsense, said Marilla, vexed at herself for having made the child cry. I don't want to send you back to the asylum, I'm sure. All I want is that you should behave like other little girls and not make yourself ridiculous. Don't cry any more. I've got some news for you. Diana Barry came home this afternoon. I'm going up to see if I can borrow a skirt pattern from Mrs. Barry, and if you like, you can come with me and get acquainted with Diana. Anne rose to her feet with clasped hands, the tears still glistening on her cheeks. The dish towel she had been hemming slipped unheeded to the floor. Oh, Marilla, I'm frightened. Now that it has come, I'm actually frightened. What if she shouldn't like me? It would be the most tragical disappointment of my life. Now don't get into a fluster, and I do wish you wouldn't use such long words. It sounds so funny in a little girl. I guess Diana will like you well enough. It's her mother you've got to reckon with. If she doesn't like you, it won't matter how much Diana does. If she has heard about your outburst, Mrs. Lynde, and going to church with buttercups round your hat, I don't know what she'll think of you. You must be polite and well-behaved, and don't make any of your startling speeches. For pity's sake, if the child isn't actually trembling. Anne was trembling. Her face was pale and tense. Oh, Marilla, you'd be excited, too, if you were going to meet a little girl you hoped to be your bosom friend and whose mother mightn't like you, she said, as she hastened to get her hat. They went over to Orchard Slope by the shortcut across the brook and up the furry hill grove. 
Mrs. Berry came to the kitchen door in answer to Marilla's knock. She was a tall, black-eyed, black-haired woman, with a very resolute mouth. She had the reputation of being very strict with her children. "'How do you do, Marilla?' she said cordially. "'Come in. And this is the little girl you have adopted, I suppose?' "'Yes, this is Anne Shirley,' said Marilla. "'Spelled with an E,' gasped Anne, who, tremulous and excited as she was, was determined that there should be no misunderstanding on that important point. Mrs. Barry, not hearing or not comprehending, merely shook hands and said kindly, "'How are you?' "'I am well in body, although considerably rumpled up in spirit, thank you, ma'am,' said Anne gravely. Then aside to Marilla in an audible whisper, "'There wasn't anything startling in that, was there, Marilla?' Diana was sitting on the sofa, reading a book, which she dropped when the callers entered. She was a very pretty little girl, with her mother's black eyes and hair, and rosy cheeks, and the merry expression which was her inheritance from her father. "'This is my little girl, Diana,' said Mrs. Barry. "'Diana, you might take Anne out into the garden and show her your flowers. It will be better for you than straining your eyes over that book. She reads entirely too much.' This to Marilla, as the girls went out. "'And I can't prevent her, for her father aids and abets her. She's always poring over a book. I'm glad she has the prospect of a playmate. Perhaps it will take her more out of doors.' Outside in the garden, which was full of mellow sunset light streaming through the dark odd firs to the west of it, stood Anne and Diana, gazing bashfully at one another over a clump of gorgeous tiger lilies. The berry garden was a bowery wilderness of flowers, which would have delighted Anne's heart at any time less fraught with destiny. It was encircled by the huge old willows and tall firs, beneath which flourished flowers that loved the shade. Prim, right-angled paths, neatly bordered with clamshells, intersected it like moist red ribbons, and in the beds between, old-fashioned flowers ran riot. There were rosy, bleeding hearts, and great splendid crimson peonies, white, fragrant narcissi, and thorny, sweet scotch roses, pink and blue and white columbines, and lilac-tinted bouncing bets, a clump of southern wood and ribbon grass and mint, purple Adam and Eve, daffodils, and masses of sweet clover, white with its delicate, fragrant, feathery sprays, scarlet lightning that shot its fiery lances over prim white musk flowers. A garden it was where sunshine lingered and bees hummed, and winds beguiled into loitering, purred, and rustled. Oh, Diana, said Anne at last, clasping her hands and speaking almost in a whisper. Do you think, oh, do you think you can like me a little, enough to be my bosom friend? Diana laughed. Diana always laughed before she spoke. Why, I guess so, she said frankly. I'm awfully glad you've come to live at Green Gables. It'll be jolly to have somebody to play with. There isn't any other girl who lives near enough to play with, and I've no sisters big enough. Will you swear to be my friend forever and ever? demanded Anne eagerly. Diana looked shocked. Why, it's dreadfully wicked to swear, she said rebukingly. Oh, no, 
Not my kind of swearing. There are two kinds, you know. I never heard of but the one, said Diana doubtfully. There really is another. Oh, it isn't wicked at all. It just means vowing and promising solemnly. Well, I don't mind doing that, agreed Diana, relieved. How do you do it? We must join hands. So, said Anne gravely. It ought to be over running water. We'll just imagine this path is running water. I'll repeat the oath first. I solemnly swear to be faithful to my bosom friend, Diana Berry, as long as the sun and moon shall endure. Now you say it, and put my name in. Diana repeated the oath with a laugh fore and aft. Then she said, You're a queer girl, Anne. I've heard before that you were queer, but I believe I'm going to like you real well. When Marilla and Anne went home, Diana went with them as far as the log bridge. The two little girls walked with their arms about each other. At the brook they parted, with many promises to spend the next afternoon together. Well, did you find Diana a kindred spirit? asked Marilla, as they went up through the garden of Green Gables. Oh, yes, sighed Anne, blissfully unconscious of any sarcasm on Marilla's part. Oh, Marilla, I'm the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island this very moment. I assure you I'll say my prayers with a right good will tonight. Diana and I are going to build a playhouse in Mr. William Bell's birch grove tomorrow. Can I have those broken pieces of china that are out in the woodshed? Diana's birthday is in February, and mine is in March. Don't you think that is a very strange coincidence? Diana is going to lend me a book to read. She says it's perfectly splendid and tremendously exciting. She's going to show me a place back in the woods where rice lilies grow. Don't you think Diana has got very soulful eyes? I wish I had soulful eyes. Diana is going to teach me to sing a song called Nellie in the Hazel Dell. She's going to give me a picture to put up in my room. It's a perfectly beautiful picture, she says. A lovely lady in a pale blue silk dress. A sewing machine agent gave it to her. I wish I had something to give Diana. I'm an inch taller than Diana, but she is ever so much fatter. She says she'd like to be thin because it's so much more graceful, but I'm afraid she only said that to soothe my feelings. We're going to the shore some day to gather shells. We have agreed to call the spring down by the log bridge the Dryad's Bubble. Isn't that a perfectly elegant name? I read a story once about a spring called that. A dryad is a sort of grown-up fairy, I think. Well, all I hope is that you won't talk Diana to death, said Marilla. But remember, this is all your planning, Anne. You're not going to play all the time, nor most of it. You'll have your work to do, and it'll have to be done first. Anne's cup of happiness was full, and Matthew caused it to overflow. He had just got home from a trip to the store at Carmody, and he sheepishly produced a small parcel from his pocket and handed it to Anne with a deprecatory look at Marilla. I heard you say you liked chocolate sweeties, so I got you some, he said. Humph, sniffed Marilla. It'll ruin her teeth and stomach. There, there, child, don't look so dismal. You can eat those, since Matthew has gone and got them. He'd better have brought you peppermints. They're wholesomer. Don't sicken yourself eating them all at once now. Oh, no, indeed, I won't, said Anne eagerly. I'll just eat one tonight, Marilla. 
and I can give Diana half of them, can't I? The other half will taste twice as sweet to me if I give some to her. It's delightful to think I have something to give her. I will say it for the child, said Marilla when Anne had gone to her gable. She isn't stingy. I'm glad, for of all faults I detest stinginess in a child. Dear me, it's only three weeks since she came, and it seems as if she'd been here always. I can't imagine the place without her. Now don't be looking, I told you so, Matthew. That's bad enough in a woman, but it isn't to be endured in a man. I'm perfectly willing to own up that I'm glad I consented to keep the child, and that I'm getting fond of her. But don't you rub it in, Matthew Cuthbert. Thank you so much for joining me for another relaxing literature podcast. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting to help me improve the quality. You can find me at patreon.com forward slash relaxing literature, along with a list of the many benefits you'll receive for being a patron at only $5 a month. You can also support me by reading, subscribing, and reviewing at your podcast platform of choice. Please also find me on Instagram at Relaxing Literature or on Twitter at Relaxing Lit ASMR to leave your comments, questions, or suggestions on what you'd like me to read next. Thank you so much for listening.